Welcome to Potter Familias, coming to you from Fairhope, Alabama. I'm Todd Sylvester. And I'm Stefan Sylvester. When I was a kid, we just didn't buy, I think, as much stuff. You don't think so? Well, I mean, I've, you had catalogs and stuff, right? Yeah. And But even catalogs, it was like a big deal because it really was... They would ship it to you in six to eight weeks. Oh, wow. That's two months. That's one and a half to two months. That, oh, yeah. I Allow guess six that to would, eight weeks for shipping. That would change things for sure. So, I ordered, so even if you ordered something, it could be next year by the time you got it. That's crazy. I ordered a, uh, a new mixer the other day for my sound equipment. And? And it's awesome. I was going to say it arrived in like four days. <laughs> Which is probably slow for you. It is. I was expecting it in two days, but it's fine. Oh, see, yeah. it, we have just changed, and I think it's even going to get worse once the drones start. Well, I'll tell you stuff. what. Yeah, Amazon is bringing that to a bunch of large urban areas, and eventually it'll probably be almost everywhere, except in very rural parts of the world. It's wild. Yeah. But there's pluses and minuses to it, because mm-hmm. I think... It's very convenient. We don't have much anticipation anymore. No. Nah. So much so... I'll order so much stuff that the package will come two days later, and I'll forget what it was that I was ordering. <laughs> I've done that, too. I'll open it up and go, oh, that's right. I ordered this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're not used to waiting for much anymore at all. No. No, not Which kind of explains a lot. <laughs> it explains a lot about our culture. Yeah, indeed. But there is one thing we want to share with you today that you should never do. Never, and that's a strong word. I don't use that word a lot. I don't no, use I know. It so I'm, I'm interested. Never. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I was taking AP English in high school, Doctor, a little shout out to Doctor Jensen. She taught us that there are certain words that she will always circle in red. And I just used one of them always. And she said, you can use it as long as you mean it, Mm -hmm. but she's going to circle it. And she's going to ask you, do you mean this? Do you mean always? Or do you mean never? And that means that there are no exceptions. Right. And she made the point that, with the majority of things, there's normally exceptions. That's like a philosophy principle. And this was an English class? Yeah, it was English class because for her, and I'm glad that she taught me this, words were really important. That's really cool, actually. You got to look behind the meaning of the words and you use them appropriately. She's a great teacher. She was fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. But I thought of that and I started, because at the time I was using those words all the time. Mm -hmm. Oh, I always do that. I'll never do that. I always do this. I'll never do this. And then three seconds later, I would do it. So, I mean, it was just, so, yeah. which, which also meant that there was very little weight to my words. Right. Well, that's a normal thing for teenagers, too. Thanks. Thanks, yeah. No, I mean, for me as well. <laughs> I'm, I'm turning this on myself. It's not just about you. Get out of here. It's not just about you. Amen. Come on. Amen but to seriously. that. That's a philosophy that is okay, so true. You and I have both worked in youth ministry for a long time. And you know that teenagers talk in a way where they don't mean half the things that they say, right, if that. Right, right, right. Of course right. they don't. They don't know themselves well enough to do that. That's a good point. Excellent point. Well said. Well said. Yeah. But this is one thing that I'm going to say 
we sh- should never do. Oh wow! Or okay, we should, using the word. or or we can flip it around and say we should always do this. Now, before we, I say what it is. I'm going to preface it and say, just like we did with the last podcast, this is really hard. Mm, okay, this is extremely difficult to do, mm. but. And I'm going to share a story about it. It's mandatory. I'm preparing my devil's advocate brain. Oh, go, bring it. Let's go. Because I'm about to destroy it. Mm, okay, we'll see. It's, go, it's going down. I will down be your face. That's your opinion. Super move coming at you. To be determined. Is. We'll see. Hmm. Whichever way you want to you want to phrase it, <laughs> to never do this. Yeah. And it's a double negative when you say never do this. Is okay. to not forgive. Ooh. Oh, no. To not forgive. Crap. Or you should always forgive. And it, at times, is so hard. Hmm. And I'm going to say sometimes it'll feel humanly impossible. Okay, I'm going to need some context for this. Well, the context is that I I do marriage coaching. I don't call it counseling because I don't have a degree. Okay. Okay. But I've got 30 years of married experience, and just I'm very observant. And fortunately, I've been graced to know a lot of awesomely married couples that I've learned a great deal from. And I share that with people. And I don't put a plaque out saying, please come and talk to me. But a lot of couples over the years have come to me. Mm -hmm. And one couple in particular, I have no idea how they found out about me. I mean, it was something to do with my radio show or something, and they tried to say, oh, so-and-so recommended you, and they drove three hours to come and talk to me. And what had happened was, unfortunately, they had gone off the rails. And like with a lot of marriages, they were not meeting each other's needs, and it got to a, a point where the wife had an affair. And when it was all blown up and all found out and, and everything and, and all, all the truth was revealed, because at first, normally when you get busted in something like that, you try to cover it up with more lies. Right. And, and that lasted for a while. But when, when the light shone on everything, they were trying to make amends. They were trying to clean it up. And they came for advice on, on what to do. And we talked for a really long time. And I'll say they they were really in an awesome place at that point in time. I was very, I told them, I said, listen, you've got an excellent chance. You've got an excellent mm-hmm. chance. Because I read the people when they come in. And yeah. and sometimes I'll be, I'll be like, we don't need to waste our time. I mean, mm-hmm. I can just tell from your body language, you don't even want to be here. But they both wanted to be there. And they both really wanted to save their marriage. But after talking for a really long time, then I turned to the wife and I said, can you step out of my office for a little bit? I need to talk to your husband. And so she's like, oh, okay. And he's looking at me like, oh, am I in trouble? You know? Mm -hmm. So we closed the door and I said, listen, you've got the hardest part here because the only way that this is going to work is you have to forgive your wife. And I understand how, I mean, I can't empathize. I've never been there. Mom has never had, you know, cheated on me. But if you don't forgive her, there's always going to be something there mm-hmm. that's going to keep you guys apart. Yeah, you're 100% right, too. And, and, but, but I said, it might not be humanly possible for you to do this, 
So you're going to have to ask for some grace. You're going to have to lean on God for this one because yeah. this one is really hard. And he was like, all right, I'm going to try. And I said, y'all contact me if you need me again. And they never have. So I'm assuming. <laughs> yeah, I hope it worked out. I mean, that would I'm, be great. I'm hoping. Yeah. I, I, I don't follow up to try to find out what's going on necessarily, mm-hmm. but uh, the, the door's always open and they've right. got my phone number. They know where know, to find yeah, you. They know where to find me. Yeah, you know, that was one of the things that, and I don't know if we're like most couples uh, in this way, but that was one of the tough things that Afton and I talked through when we were dating and then when we were engaged. And again, I don't know if this is just because like we're both pretty morbid people. (laughs) (laughs) What do you mean? Well, because we, uh, so you know that I'm kind of a sadomasochist or I was for a long time when it comes to the way that I understand my faith and how my feelings you interact with. You have to explain with. that okay, to our so, listeners because so what they're I, like, what the heck, What I mean in? is, what I mean is, when I, from a very young age, so when I first started to understand these things, like as a teenager, I would force myself to, and I would do this on a regular basis, by the way. I don't know if I've ever talked to you about this. I would force myself to walk through the emotional process of grieving for horrible things that could happen. Right. And so... A lot of times when I was in my room as a teenager laying on my bed, I would sit there and I would say, okay, what would I feel like if mom died? And I would walk through, just stay with me here for a minute. I would go, all right, so how would I feel? Like, and I would try to make it as real as possible in my head. And I, cause this is your, your philosopher kid would do this. Well, no, hang on. I have to interject yeah. because that, that makes a lot of sense. Because we always thought to ourselves, either you were going to be a songwriter like mm-hmm. you are, or yep. a poet, or a writer. Both, all three. Because you had this depth about you. And I don't and, know where it came from. It's not like I decided to be this way. I, I, I think this probably started around the time when I was like a little bit older than Peter, like when I was 12 mm-hmm. or 13. Yeah. I would really, and it was, it was kind of scary sometimes how vivid I could make it. Right. Because I would really, like I would just lay in my bed and cry a lot of times. And I wasn't crying because of anything that had actually happened, but I was making myself feel like it had. Right. And I was doing it. Because I guess in my 13-year-old head, I was like, I want to know what this feels like just in case. Yeah. Not because I'm trying to like be strong and not show any emotion. It's like, no, no, I want to know what this feels like so that when if it happens, God forbid, I won't be blindsided by the feelings and it will make me do something stupid. Yeah, that makes sense. So that's what I was thinking as a teenager. And so I would do that pretty frequently all the way up through the end of high school even. And then it pretty much stopped because I had walked through almost every scenario that I could think of, Mm -hmm. which is horrible. But at the same time, it's like, I don't feel like I was doing something that was strange or inappropriate. It was just like, I want to know what that feels like. Um, And it was all, it wasn't all bad. It wasn't all sad things where I was trying to make myself feel all these, um, these really sad, horrible things. I also would walk through really beautiful scenarios that could happen and say like, what would it be like if, um, you know, if I got to marry this girl that I like, or what would it be like if, you know, I had a child one day and I would walk through all this stuff. And one of the things that that made it possible for me to do as I got older is to understand like, okay, people that find themselves in positions where something tragic happens to them that they can't control 
one of the reasons why it's so difficult, in my opinion, because I'm not a doctor, I don't know any of this for sure, I'm not a counselor either, but one of the primary reasons that people do stupid things when something tragic happens to them is because they have never felt anything like that before. Mm. And they get to the point where it's like, how could it be possible for me to forgive the person who was the cause of this when I'm not even sure how to process these feelings myself? Right. You know, So you get caught up in that moment. And for me, so it's not like I've never had an issue forgiving somebody. I definitely have. But I, I did all that stuff not realizing that it would actually help me later on to have a quicker rebound from tragedy and be able to forgive, if necessary, faster. Yeah. And so it was really helpful when I got to point, like, because I think that when you're a teenager, especially if there are any teenagers that listen to this podcast or if you have children that are teenagers, teenagers process a lot of emotions all the time and everything feels like either the end of the world or the best thing ever. Mm-hmm. And that was the the spectrum of emotions for me. So one of the reasons why I was doing this is because I was like, man, I can feel how strong these emotions are. I felt that when I was younger and I was like, man, I don't know why the Lord made me this way, but boy, do I feel things. And I wanted to make sure that I was ready if something real happened that I was going to feel all that stuff for. That makes sense. So psychologists, I don't know if there's a name for, for any of this, but Hey, let me know, write it in the comments. So, All this to say that for me, that makes perfect sense. What you're talking about with it almost being humanly impossible to forgive somebody who's done that to you because you have to process all of the stuff that you're feeling, everything that surrounds that horrible situation before you can even come close to being able to look at the person who did this, the person who's responsible and say, I forgive you, much less mean it. And the levels, I want to share two stories, because we have a very close relative who's now deceased, but her husband unfortunately ran off on her and ended up with another woman, and it was just a really difficult thing, difficult for all the kids, and certainly difficult for her, and anyway, she got to a point where she said, I forgave him, but near the end of her life when she when she was dying they asked do you want him to come in and say goodbye and this is exactly what she said she said no because i'm afraid that i'll then get mad at him again yeah i've forgiven him but i don't want to see him again does mm-hmm. that make sense it does it makes perfect sense so th- so the aspect of forgiveness by the way we're not saying that you just may you know wave the magic wand Mm-mm. the forgiveness wand woohoo and there's pixie dust or something like that and that you have joyful feelings and you want to have a tea party with these people. Like the other story was a a woman who shared that her only child, her daughter, when she was off at college, they were over there doing something. They were together. And when she pulled out, someone slammed into them and her daughter was killed. And she... Just never let it go mm-hmm. because it was the fault of the other driver. Okay, this this was not just like mutual fault or sh- shared responsibility. It was the fault of the other driver. They, either they were distracted or they were driving too fast. Or I don't remember what was happening. But I've even heard stories like this where when it's a DUI. I mean, it's just terrible, terrible things. But one time on the radio show, I I mentioned just like I mentioned in the last podcast. I said. 
you have to forgive people. In, in fact, it's a command mm-hmm. that we have to forgive. We don't have the option. So if we're, if we're hanging on to that, that is not God's will. Yeah. And that's dangerous territory. I agree. It's, it's not only inconsistent with our faith, but I think just from a secular psychological point of view, it's the only healthy thing that you can do if you want to move on with your life. Well, I mean, I've even got another story after this one, but th- with this woman, she went to a priest and she went to confession and confessed it. And then she asked the priest, like, do I have to contact the person? And he said, absolutely not. You have to understand what forgiveness is. It has it, nothing to do with the other right. person. Right. It's, it's not like you've got to build a relationship with them. Nope. You just have to release you, the, the, whole, the aspect of hanging on to that. You're white-knuckling that, mm-hmm. and, you, and you have to let it go. And it all comes from that place of really powerful emotions that are always going to surround all this stuff. And it gets even murkier when you're talking about somebody that you love. Like, yeah. do you remember when we read about that? That thing that happened to Stephen Curtis Chapman's family, yeah. I, that left a deep impression on me. So I guess what that happened? Hurts just you yeah, bringing it I know. Up, I'm sorry. Hurts. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I don't mean to, but I have a point here. Yeah. Hang on. Okay. No, so I'm with you. Okay. So one of one of Stephen Curtis Chapman's is uh, his sons accidentally ran over and killed one of his little sisters, and it's horrible, like an absolutely horrible situation. But I remember that when we were talking about it, I have a vivid memory of this. I don't know if you would remember this, but. We were talking about it, and I was thinking to myself, like, man, how, like, how is that family meeting going to go? And you said something to the effect of, it's way more difficult to figure out how your family is going to move forward when the person whose fault it is is sitting there in the room with you. Yeah. And what do you do? It takes radical forgiveness that I really don't think is humanly possible. Like the things that I was thinking about when I was a teenager, that all had to do with like an act of God, not really, but just like, you know, <laughs> lightning strike. A, right, right. But something, something that was out of the blue is nobody's fault really. Or if I was thinking that it was someone's fault, it was like a bad guy or a burglar or something where I don't really have to think about this person ever again. If I get to a point where I can forgive them, then that's it. But what if it's a family member? What if it's somebody that you you know intimately and like if it's if it's your wife, right? And so getting all the way back to the original story that I meant to tell and I never did. Afton and I, when we were engaged, we talked about what would we do if one of us cheated on the other one? What would we do? And I mean like straight up, not like. You know, I've, I looked at a couple of other women inappropriately and it's like, no, like straight up, like I had an affair and then came to you and was like, I did this. It's hundred percent my fault. I take responsibility. Do you still want to be with me? What would we do? And that was not a fun conversation. As you can imagine, it was something where we sat there and we were just like, man, cause we hadn't thought about it. But well, some people are listening right now going, why'd you have that conversation? We had the conversation because we didn't want to be blindsided. Yeah. It's the same reason why I would make myself walk through the emotional process of grief. When I was a teenager, mm-hmm. I didn't want to be blindsided by having to simultaneously deal with all the changes that were going to happen. If my wife had an affair and still try to get to a place where I could forgive her. I wanted to understand, okay, what would this feel like? Not that I'm ever thinking that she's going to do that. And I don't think that she thinks that I'm ever going to do it either. 
we've made a commitment to one another. We're very happy. We're very satisfied in our marriage. We're both meeting each other's needs to the best of our ability. So we're in a really good place. But having said that, I don't know what our marriage is going to look like 10 years from now. Yeah, if you get off the rails. I don't know. I mean, who knows? I hope for the best, but... But who knows? Like, I, I want to believe that I will make the best decisions that I can, that I will be able to be a good husband and father. But, you know, there's a lot of people who have really good intentions and something happens in their life and they're not prepared for it and it ruins everything. Well, this is the point that we're trying to make all the while here is as Christians, we don't have an option. Right. We don't have an option. Now, exactly how it's supposed to look and how that's going to be made manifest, let's say, in your marriage or, or wherever we're talking about. Yeah. The, those specifics have to be worked out. But the basis, the foundation of forgiveness is mandatory. Right. I, on my radio show, had a rabbi one time. So he was talking about something, and I said, yeah, that, that just must be difficult. You know, I, I think about the the Holocaust survivors and and when they're coming face to face with individuals and all this kind of stuff. And he said, this was dead air after he said it, I I didn't have a response. Me. I didn't have a response. He said, well, Todd, some acts are so heinous that they don't deserve forgiveness. Ooh. And I was silent for 10, 15 seconds. It felt like forever. And then finally my producer's looking at me like, are you going to talk? Are you going to say anything? Because he's he's obviously lobbed it to you, and he's not going to say anything until you do. And I said, "Wow!" Well, and I said, "Well, Rabbi, as a Christian, we don't have that option. We don't have that option." What did he say? He 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 just kind of sloughed it off because he understood that. I mean, he respected that. Yeah. But he didn't agree with it. Yeah. He's like, "Well, no. I mean, we're we're still Old Testament. We're eye for an eye. Wow. But we as Christians, we're not. Yeah. You." You have to forgive. Right. Again, please understand, we recognize the difficulty. You, you might comment and, and say or unsubscribe and go, you guys are jerks because you don't understand the situation that I've been in. You it's know like, what? You're right. We don't, we don't understand the situation. All yeah. I'm saying, and, and exactly how forgiveness is supposed to look like in your life, I don't know. I do know that no matter what comes down the pike, we don't have an option. We have to forgive. Even if it takes the rest of our lives mm-hmm. to work it out or to utter the words because they're so hard to say, we, we have to forgive. We have to forgive. Yeah. Man, that is hard, but you're right. We can't end an episode like this. This is too, like serious and sad you want to do like a dad thing or something well i was gonna say like just just to add on to what we're saying one of the beautiful aspects of living your life this way is that it forces you like we talked about in the last episode it forces you to see people as people Mm -hmm. if you're always having to be ready to forgive if necessary because people can wrong you people can mistreat you and do horrible things to you or the people that you love but if you know that ultimately this world is passing away, then it puts everything in perspective for you real fast. That was one of the things that, and you're gonna be surprised that I'm saying this, it was one of the things that made me thankful for the fact that illness was present in my wife and I's relationship, that that she was diagnosed that early in our marriage, and Mm -hmm. because it put everything in perspective for us all at once. Did it make it easy? No, of course not, but 
it definitely changed our way of looking at the world. And I'm glad that we talked about all that stuff beforehand because boy, it, it helped us to be ready, you know? And in some cases that meant being ready to forgive people who did things to us or we would have been justified in saying we hate that person. But we, we had to work to get to a place where we were comfortable forgiving them or at least wanting to yeah. and then waiting for that to come. That's so good. Yeah. Because we recognize that, or even if you don't want to. Yeah, and look, we're not doing this perfectly, yeah. but but we're trying. Yeah. Well, you just kind of summed up life. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> <laughs> cool. We're not doing this perfectly, yes. but we're trying. We are trying. Part of Familius, everyone. Part of Familius. Do all the things. <laughs> like, subscribe. Become a subscriber. Share, comment. Possibly a patron. A patron. All right, this is ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to Potter Familius. We appreciate y'all.